Hey, this is Mike Goldberg, the voice of Bellator MMA. Join us right now for MMA FanCast. Welcome back. Welcome back. As you just heard, we are MMA FanCast. My name's Jim Mooney. My podcast partner is Luke Payson. This episode of MMA FanCast, we're going to be discussing UFC 238. We've got some predictions, fight analysis, uh, and then Luke is going to have a lock for you towards the end of the show. So you're definitely going to want to stay tuned for that. This is something we're going to start doing uh, on a more regular basis where we get into some of the bigger fights, uh, specifically UFC and their pay-per-views and, uh, and some of the title fights that are coming up. There's, uh, there's definitely a big card coming up in uh, late fall, uh, but uh, yeah. that's uh, for another podcast. Um, this podcast, <laughs> though, UFC 238 is a big card. Um, any one of the top three fights, I don't know if you could call it a co-co-main, any one of those three fights, mm. in my opinion, could easily be um, the headliner. The number three fight on that is Cerrone and Ferguson, fight that people have talked about for a long time, and it's finally going to happen. Ferguson is coming off uh, what I would call a pretty long layoff. He's he's really only got two fights in the past two years. His last fight was October 6th, I believe, of last year. Yeah. Um, and I think it was a year uh, prior to that, for the last time that he fought. Uh, the uh, the co-main is um, Shevchenko, Valentina Shevchenko, taking on Jessica I. And then the main event uh, for the Bantamweight title is Henry Cejudo coming off of a big victory, taking on Marlon Moraes. Uh, again, that is for the Bantamweight titles. Uh, Luke, you ready to get into uh, some of this 238 talk? Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited. Let's get started with the Tony Ferguson versus Donald Cowboy Cerrone. Um, the, the interesting thing here, there, there's probably interesting aspects on both sides. On Donald Cerrone's side, this is uh, his return. He's returned now. He's had two fights back at 155. It's important to point out he had 10 fights at 170. He had some early success, ended up not having the best success at 170, went six wins, four losses at 170, came back to kind of a seal you out fight at 155, won that, then jumped right into an Alaquina. It's important to point out that Al had gone the distance, 25 minutes, with the now 155 champ, uh, Habib. So it, that was not an easy fight at all. Um, Al Quinn was ranked fourth at the time at 155. And I'd say, relatively speaking, Catroy came through that with flying covers, colors, almost finished, almost finished um, Al Quinn. And so um, in many ways, both of these guys, and this is my, my point, is both of these guys probably should be fighting Habib for the title. And there's been a weird thing with me because of legal, legal reasons. He's been out because of the fight with Connor's people. And I would say he needs to be stripped. I, 
I don't want this to be a whole thing about that, but they stripped Tony Ferguson, the other side of this fight, from literally getting injured. He fell doing UFC promotions for one of the cards he was supposed to fight Habib on for, uh, for the title, and he tripped over a cord when he was doing a UFC sponsored promotion event. And so to me, it was ridiculous that they stripped Tony um, and then they quick went ahead and gave Habib the fight with Aliquina. So I'm actually probably one of the few people that do not want to see this fight happen. That's my opinion, Jim. I think both these guys deserve title shots. And if this fight were to happen, it should be for the title. Um, Donald, when he when Cowboy had just had just beaten Aliquina, he said in, in the cage, which I thought was genius, he said he doesn't want to fight till July uh, to be either fighting Connor, which is still a possibility, or fighting um, or fighting for the title. And then, of course, it's Cowboy. And if our listeners don't know Cowboy, Cowboy really wants to fight every weekend if he could. And he knows that. Everybody knows that. The UFC knows that. And so even though he said in the cage that um, he really shouldn't fight to July with either the Connor, Connor fight potentially or, um, or the title, he's fighting. So, so I'm a little upset that this isn't for the title. I think that Habib participated in a fight that was terrible and that he actually more or less instigated uh, by jumping over the cage after he had beaten Connor by a neck, neck crank. So if you don't remember that from October, go look at that. But I think Khabib should be um, stripped of his title and this should be a title shot. What do you think about that part? As far as Khabib goes, I, I'm on, on the fence about this because he's, he's going to be fighting. So, you know, we're just going to touch base on this just for another minute. He's fighting sure. Poirier coming up, yeah. who is the interim champion, which to me, UFC needs to, I think, kind of clean that up. There's too many interim yeah. champs, and it doesn't make sense. You got a champ, you stick with that champ. When he loses, you know, then you got another champ. There, there shouldn't be, unless there's some sort of suspension like uh, Khabib went through, um, you strip yeah. over the title, and then you have, uh, you. W- I wouldn't call that person an interim champ, but you have maybe the number one and two fight for the vacant belt, and then they are declared the champ. I, I think it waters down the yeah. – you know, the fight for the gold, so to speak, when you do stuff like that. Yeah, as far as Cerrone goes, I would love to see him fighting for the belt right now. You know, he's his last three victories were they were they were standout performances, that's for sure. You know, going back to uh to his fight against Mike Perry and that was an oh. honor bar submission. And I I remember like they show yep. it now uh, as promo highlights leading up to two thirty eight. And he was on his stomach and wrenching up on Mike Perry's oh. arm. It was, yep. it was a brutal submission, and you could see by the, the grimace on Cerrone's face that he wanted to break it off, and he wanted to take that home yeah. as, uh, as a trophy. His fight after that against Hernandez, Alex Hernandez, he was the underdog in that fight, and I, I could see how that might have happened. Hernandez was – you know, an up-and-coming young fighter. And oh, yeah. he just uh, waded through the early storm from Hernandez and eventually just took it to him like a man, you know, taking a boy out yeah. behind the woodshed and, you know, giving him the business. And then, you know, you touch base on his fight against Iaquina. His last three fights, he's just been a, rec- you know, one-man wrecking crew. And, you know, this fight with uh, Ferguson, I agree. I would love to see it as the fight for, uh, for the title. Something to say, something to say about Tony Ferguson. I think that I think what we're really seeing is Tony Ferguson. It's important to point out 
He has the longest current win streak in UFC competition. That's active fighter with 11 wins in a row. Um, and I said going into the fight, which he ended up ripping up his knee and had major knee surgery, he was supposed to be fighting Habib, Nurmagomedov. Um, I said that I thought Tony, I thought Tony was going to win that. He has a very ridiculously good stand-up, as does, um, as does, I think we can say Donald Cowboy Cerrone is known for his Muay Thai. But the thing that El Kukui does so much better than Donald, the only reason why I don't actually want to see them fighting because prediction-wise, I see Tony winning this, and uh, I love, I love Cowboy. I love everything about Cowboy. If you follow him, I, I, he's a, now he's a dad. He's a family guy now. He's still wild, but he's more. He's more controlled. He brings danger, which is his son's name, which is just wonderful, into into the, the cage. And he's really motivated. And they finally did a promo with him saying that he's actually motivated to get the strap. He was never a guy motivated to get the strap. He was always a guy. I just fight because I like beating guys up. I like getting paid. I like having fun. If I need a new boat, that's what he once said. If I need a new boat, I'll go fight. Like he just, you know, he likes his toys. But now that he's got his son, he really wants the strap. My concern is that Tony is just so good at improvision. And so is Cowboy. But Tony brings in such unique stuff. If, you, if, if anybody can go watch, back and watch the fight where Tony came off that massive knee injury, he was fighting six months after that major knee surgery. They said he shouldn't even consider fighting for at least a year, if not longer. He did his own rehab. He, he explained all this in the post-fight interview, but it was insane how he tore apart his opponent. And it was, it, obviously, it was, it was Showtime Pettis. It was not an easy opponent and he just I mean he just he stopped him to the point where the corner couldn't put him back out there so I would say my biggest concern with Tony um is and, and we don't want to spend too much time on this out of respect but he had some significant personal issues come up and it, it involved his wife and not so much in an abuse situation uh but more in his mental health and, and concerns about Tony's mental state his, his wife ended up getting a pfa but it wasn't so much a pfa from him being uh what we would consider like classically abusive it was more she was concerned about his mental health and you can kind of check that out mma junkie had a lot of coverage on it but it's a concern to me because to me it almost sounded like the beginning of what we know as cte right where he's losing touch with the reality he doesn't know what's going on he thought the cia was chasing him he jumped out of moving cars he thought his wife was spying on him things that are not uh, things that are like delusional and paranoid and he, either he has some significant mental health history that involves that, um, that was previously undiagnosed or undisclosed or it's the beginning of CT. So as much as I, I think this is a bad fight for Donald and I'm, I'm not afraid to say it, I would love for Donald to win, but I think Donald's going to lose. Tony is just so diverse and incredible and destructive. Um, I would love to see Donald win, but my biggest concern for Tony is, I think, and we've talked many times, we did an entire segment, our last segment was on uh, addiction issues in MMA, which I thought was great, and Johnny Pipefrench came on, I thought it was a great podcast, but one of the things to bring up is that the UFC, just like boxing, is at some point going to have to deal with CTE, right? And I'm not saying that El Kukui is the guy, I'm not saying he definitely has CTE, I'm just saying if you read into some of the police reports and some of the detailed information his wife gave, it certainly sounded like this is a guy who loves fighting. This is a guy who will never back down. This is a guy who will just keep coming just like Donald. But they're too tough for their own good. I mean, he recovered from a massive knee surgery in four months. So my concern is that El Kukui already has some brain concerns and that he's going to go into this barn burner with, with Donald. So that would be my concern. But to throw it back to you, I would say Tony takes it. Donald, he's been a slow starter at times. He's, 
He lost in an attempt at 155. He's definitely weak to the body when he's that lean. And so I'd say Tony actually gets it done by some type of stoppage. But back to you, Jim, for your wrap-up on it, your prediction, and kind of what your thoughts are. Tony Ferguson, it, that was a big win for him um, back at uh, UFC 229. Yeah. That, uh, the corner stoppage uh, out of you know, Pettis' corner, it was, uh, it was like a signature yeah. stoppage from Ferguson. The thing I like about him is his ability to just keep going. He keeps coming forward. It seems like as the fight goes on, he gets stronger and stronger mm-hmm. and similar to uh, Holloway. You know, it's like their yeah. cardio actually builds up um, and they can go deeper into the fight while their, their opponent is wearing down. Now, yeah. with that said, um, I, I, I got to go with Cerrone on this one. I, I think the last three fights, each one of them mm-hmm. have been statement victories. He just seems like he's, he's found his, his self back at 155. Yeah. And, you know, he definitely had some success at 170. Uh, but I, I think uh, his cut now, he's, he seemed to be able to uh, manage that a lot yeah. better, which, you know, uh, enables him to go longer in the fights, um, keeping that stamina up. So I'm going with, with Cerrone on this one. I know you're taking uh, first. Yeah. So for our first prediction, we're on opposite ends. We're on opposite ends. Right. Absolutely. Well, emotionally, I, I don't think there's a guy I like better than Donald Cowboy Cerrone from an emotional standpoint. So I'm actually happy to hear you, you've seen it potentially going the other way. And I would not be, I would not be upset at all if it went the other, if it went the other way, because that means a guy I really, really respect and really like in Cowboy would, would get the victory. I, that'll be, I mean, I, I think if you look at that fight on paper, which I think a lot of people are, it's possibly going to be – it's hard to say the most exciting because as we go on here, there's going to be even – but I would say that that's a, that's a recipe for Friday night. Cowboy Cerrone, it's important to point out, has the most wins in UFC history, has the most fight bonuses in UFC history, and he might have the most stoppages in UFC history. If I'm wrong, I apologize. But he definitely has the most fight bonuses and most wins in UFC history, um, and he's really on a tear. So we'll take it. Now, do you want to say how you think Cowboy's going to win before we roll on to the co-main event? I'm going to say uh, it's going to be a stoppage. Um, okay. I'm going to go with, uh, with some sort of submission. Uh, maybe, yep. um, I don't know, maybe uh, an arm bar again. Uh, fourth round is what I'm calling. That's great. That, that, is a, that is a wonderful – I'm not sure, buddy, if that's a five-rounder. I'm going to say it's a three-rounder. I could be wrong. Um, but I don't think that's a five-round fight between the two. Uh, it's not you actually are right. Fight. I was just looking at that. So say, right. So say third round. Say third round and we'll be well, good. No, that's going to change things. Um, I'm okay. going to go with, uh, with decision. Oh, yeah, good choice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, something, to, something to point out. Something to point out there is, oh, there's something that came to mind I wanted to throw out about it, but I'm forgetting for a moment, so that's fine. We'll see. Oh, yeah, it would really be if Tony loses his win streak, that would be pretty impressive for, for Cowboy to do. Going on to the co-main event, it's the women's, 125 or flyweight. Um, and this is actually what I'm considering a lock, but we'll throw that out till later. Um, it's interesting. I, I, I guess I'm a purist. I think this should be the main event. This is uh, Vladimir, uh, that Valentino, Valentino, the bullet um, defending. Now this is just Luke Payson talking, but I don't like when a vacant belt, which is the 135 Bantamweight, and those guys are great fights. I do not like 
when a vacant belt or an interim belt or anything like that takes precedent over a legit belt. This is a legit belt. It's just a little thing, but this should not become an event. This should be the main event. And Henry Cejudo and uh, Marlon Morales should be co-main. It's just a small thing, but that, that's the type of stuff that I think sometimes the UFC gets wrong. Um, the UFC sometimes gets it wrong in sending the message that a real champ, that's a real champ. The bullet is a real champ. And uh, I don't like the fact that she's fighting. It's a small thing, but that's just me. But anyhow, uh, Valentino is 16-3. and three. She fought a man in units, and this is important one to point out. She lost by split decision to uh, Amanda Nunez. I'm sure you saw that fight, Jim, in September of 17. And that was at the 135 pound. And it was a split decision loss. And we have now seen what Amanda Nunez has done to people that are legitimately 135ers. I mean, she's just crushing it. She just she just destroyed a 145er in Chris Cyborg, right? And so I would say that um, it's very impressive to point out that Valentino is that good, uh, is that good that she almost became the 135-pound champ. And that was prior to the 125-pound champ even being, that championship even being created. So that's important to point out. Uh, this would be her first defense. She has just recently beaten uh, Joanna Champion for the vacant 125. So this would be her first, I believe this would be her first defense. Can you tell us a little bit more about Jessica Evil Eye? She fought uh, Beth uh, Correa, and she was a hometown favorite, obviously. She was from Cleveland. She did not win that fight. It, you know, she took it pretty hard. I do remember overhearing a conversation. She came back to the hotel and in the lobby, um, we got to hear some of the conversation, and she was definitely bummed. And I think part of uh, that loss for her um, back in, uh, at, in Cleveland at UFC 203, because it was such a big, big um, card, uh, Stipe was the headliner. He took on Overeem, um, and such a pro Cleveland, um, crowd. I think some of that was overwhelming for her and she didn't handle the spotlight very well. Ever since that loss though, she's, um, she's rolled off three straight victories. I, I still don't think that it's going to be enough. I don't think she's quite ready for what Shevchenko has to offer. You know, like you said, with her um, her fight against uh, Nunez, it was a split decision loss. But you could go back and look at that and and see that you know that that fight could have gone either way. And with your comment about Nunez, she definitely trucks trucked through some uh, some big names. Oh yeah, in uh, you know w- with uh, Cyborg and um, Ronda Rousey. It just, yeah, her. I mean, the names on her. Uh, her win lists are pretty significant. That speaks volumes for Shevchenko and her talent. And I don't see that Jessica I can can really stand up to the yeah. uh, volume, the sheer volume that is going to be thrown at her by Shevchenko. And I think it's going to be um, – it's going to end early. I don't see this fight going the distance. I think it's going to be a, a TKO stoppage probably somewhere around um, third or fourth round. Absolutely. And I think that's something we're going to agree upon and I'll, I'll no longer keep our audience in suspense. I would consider this the lock. I, I think that Jessica is, is kind of out of her element here. I, you said she, she reeled off three wins in a row and she did. Two of those wins were by split decision. Two of her losses when she was losing, she lost four in a row and five out of six uh, midway through her career. And four of those were by 
loss with decision loss as well. So she tends to both in wins and losses favor kind of a decision, some grappling, a little bit of striking, um, but is not what anyone would consider um, dominant. I think when you have four uh, things on your record, two wins and two losses by split decision, somebody's going to agree that your fighting style is not the most clear or the most finishing. And you cannot say the same about Bullet. Bullet will finish you or at least make you wish that you were finished. It's important also to point out that Bullet had defended and won uh, pro world Muay Thai belts eight, nine, ten times. I mean, she and she beat Joanna Champion three times in Muay Thai. Joanna Champion never beat her in Muay Thai. So her uh, dominance on the feet, I, I don't think Jessica is going to get through. I, I don't think she's going to get through the, the dominating striking of um, the bullet. So I think we can agree. Um, and I would say I agree with, with, with you by stoppage in the third or fourth round, possibly even sooner. And I would say possibly even as early as three minutes into the first round. But I would say that's my lock. I think if anybody is looking to uh, put some legal wages on this fight, that would be the fight to do uh, for her to win and possibly even do a, uh, do a, do a, a bet where it's a, it's a win by, by finish. Okay, so we've got you. I don't know that I got you down for. Uh, oh, you call it Ferguson? Did you call it by, um, by a particular uh, way? Yeah, of it? I said I, I said a finish. I don't think I said a particular type of finish. I, I, you did mention that you think Cowboy will get a finish, and Cowboy does have a takedown method that's unique. And the UFC, he has a knockdown takedown method. This is what he said before, where he knocks somebody down with a punch or a kick, and then he chokes them out, and that or arm bars. And that's typically his finishing move. You can see that with Ed, Edson Barbosa fight where he knocked him down with a stiff jab and then rear naked choked him. So um, and you called him um, by, I believe, a submission finish is what you said. And so if that happens, I would say it's likely going to happen off of a, off of some type of knockdown on El Kukui and then maybe Cowboy will get the finish. But I would say, I'm going to say El Kukui gets it. He does like Dars. He's landed several Darses. He, I think, has the most number of Dars finishes in the UFC off the top of my head that could be wrong but he definitely has several and that's not a that's not an often uh finish but i would say okay just finishes just either straight knockout or ground to pound those are the two fights that um yep uh, that we wanted to talk about and the third one you uh mentioned briefly just talking about a fight for uh for a vacant belt and that's uh yep. henry cejudo and marlon mm. Moraes. um <laughs> i like henry cejudo more as an Olympic wrestler than I do as an MMA fighter. And yeah. I, don't, I don't know why that is. There's, there's something about him that, you know, he's, he's got a solid work ethic. Yeah, I can admire that. Um, and he definitely has changed his fight style where he, mm-hmm. he comes forward and he's high pressure now where, you know, he, I'd say like four or five fights ago, that was yeah. not the case and he was more reactionary and um, and would pounce on opportunities, but now he seems to come forward with consistency and um, and constant pressure and trying to create opportunities instead of waiting for one to appear. So, yeah. well, and there's and it's important to point out that there's only two male UFC fighters who have won. Uh, well, actually, he's the only one that has won gold. DC did not win gold, but DC was also an Olympic wrestler, and they're both champs right now at two different complete weight classes, uh, 125, now 135 potentially, and 205 slash heavyweight. But I, I do think it's tough. I, I'm, I agree with what you're saying. I, I was not a fan um, when Henry Cejudo came in. Um, his attitude, I get it. You want a gold medal, and that's the best 
anyone will ever be. You can never take that away from an Olympian on a gold medal. Um, the thing that I agree with you is he used to, because of his tentative striking style, he would back up and hope people would shoot on him. You know, he'd back up, back up, back up, and, and kind of be reactionary and hope people would shoot, and then he could reverse out of there. He's become much more aggressive. Obviously, he just knocked out P.J. Dillashaw, which was a massive, it, 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 by far, I mean, other than the, than the um, D.J. win, but that really put a stamp at 125. Um, my thing with my thing with him is that, that all his camp and everybody has said that he is learning striking as quickly and as well as he did as wrestling, and that is possible. He kind of did see that with T.J. So as much as I agree with you that his striking is suspect, and I would say that Marlon's striking is not suspect. It's incredible. He's knee knockouts and kick knockouts and punch knockouts and elbow knockouts, and he's a knockout guy. Um, but I do think. Henry, particularly beating TJ. I want to talk about TJ for one second. The interesting part here is Cody Garbrandt was offered this fight. Cody Garbrandt was offered this fight for now, um, June 8th, because he has lost twice um, to TJ. And if you look back, you can see that. And so he, in a way, is the second best. Um, Cody Garbrandt is the second best guy at 135, at least if you look at the two title shots. But anyhow, um, Cody's, Cody's uh, team turned it down saying that they will not have Cody fight again, his manager, until, they, until the UFC takes away all of TJ's former belts and titles. They claim, and this is true, that at the Olympic wrestling or Olympic track and field, Olympic, any, any type of Olympics, if you test positive any time in your career, you lose every record you would ever have. You can think of Marion Jones in track and field. She lost every record she ever had. She lost every medal she ever had. And her 4 by one team lost their medals as well. She was on the 4-1 team. If you look that up, that was a dominant sprint, sprinter in the 90s, and she was eventually caught as a steroid user, but they took everything she'd ever had. So, and, and the manager pointed out something that's very interesting. We'll see if this happens. He pointed out that, quote, Cody Garbrandt is a young man. He are, quote, and we are okay letting him sit out. They claim that they are letting Cody sit out until the UFC to stripping TJ, not only of the belt he just lost, or he already lost it, but of uh, all the records he's ever had. I don't think that's going to happen. It'll be interesting to, it'll be interesting to see if that's what they do. But I just want to throw that out there as far as this fight comes in a very interesting way to get a vacant belt. The, 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 the champ has been pulled because of steroid use. He had just gotten knocked out by Henry Cejudo at 125. So it's a very unique um, opening here. But I'll point out that I like Marlon Moraes in pretty much every way in this fight. He, um, it's hard to see my notes right now, but I'm going to say he defended his WSOF uh, belt five times. He was the first inaugural WSOF champ um, at 135 and defended it five times and only got rid of it in order to come to the UFC. Um, he did lose early in the UFC, and now he's been on a tear, and he is very, very dominant. And I, I think it'll be interesting because of the wrestling and I don't want to count Henry Segura out, but I would say that my pick, I'm just more impressed with the well-roundedness of Morales and also his experience and defending about five times in WSFS to me gives you my, uh, my vote. So there, there's, there's my pick. I don't really have a plan, maybe a decision, but it's hard to beat a wrestler by decision. So I'm going to change that to finish by strikes in under four. There you go. Finished by strikes in under four. You're going with Moraes. I'm going with Moraes. Finished by strikes in, in four and under. All right. So I'm just jotting that down. And 
I am in the same boat as you. I think, uh, like, with uh, if we go back to Cejudo for a second, where where he really changed his um, his fight uh, mm-hmm. his fight style was uh, was his first fight after uh, Benavides, but he lost to yeah. Benavides, and you know, uh, for the longest time it was um, DJ at the top of that division. Uh, with Benavidez and Cejudo yeah. just below them, and you know you could flip flop Benavidez and Cejudo one and two at mm-hmm. any time that you know that they were that close. So he, right. you know, he had a different uh, fight camp coming out of that, and his uh, his first fight was against Wilson Hayes, and that's where he just he just really took it to him. I think he got. Um, fight of the night, a performance of the night um, for that victory, and it was it was a knockout, second round knockout. And you know, since then he's he's really lit that you know that division on fire with obviously with a big win against DJ, and then oh. you know, what he did against uh, TJ. You know, that's yep. I think um, that fight alone between Cejudo and uh, and Dillashaw, we could you know spend a whole podcast talking about that with. <laughs> all the things surrounding that fight, um, and you know, a lot of it had having to do with what you just said. I'm talking about Cody, yeah. and you know what he wants the UFC to do. But Cejudo is—he's uh, like uh, to me—he's like the mini me of maybe Max Holloway or even t- Tony Ferguson. Um, you know, a, a lower weight class, but um, his his constant pressure, like those two. Yeah mentioned is is where he um it's really starting to win the fights and I, I think he definitely overwhelmed Dillashaw um with that high pressure. Oh yeah. But I I agree with you on Moreas and there there's definitely something to be said for someone who can defend a belt five consecutive times. Interesting though his his first fight in the UFC Ended up being lost. yeah a loss, but you know I mean it was a split decision and um, you know if you go back and watch that fight <clears throat> it was a fight that uh, that could have gone either way um, and you could come away thinking that that Moraes won that fight but since then he reeled off um, four he did redeem himself with a uh, a sub win against a Sun Sal who uh, who was his first loss in his first fight with the UFC. That was his most recent. I, I agree with you and what uh, Maria is, is bringing to the table, and I don't know that that's something that Cejudo can get through. You know, I, I just don't think that he's going to have enough time. I think Moraes is going to be more opportunistic than Henry will be in this fight, and I see it as a, a submission win for us. Uh, yeah, I, I know, you know submission by opportunity, not necessarily sure. – one uh, fighter wearing down the other. I think it's going to be. Um, I'm going to go with a uh, you know some sort of choke, whether it's guillotine or uh, rear naked. But I'm going to say uh, maybe like a third or I'm going to go with um, with fourth round uh, sub by RNC rear naked choke. Wonderful. So, yeah, it's interesting. So as like a recap, we both agree on the main event and co-main event as far as our predictions go a little bit different, maybe in style, but as far as who we picked and then we're, we're, we're undecided or we're decidedly against 
um, on the on the on the first one we talked about the Tony Ferguson cowboy fight. Um, I do think one one other thing to point out about Henry Cejudo, you gave a great Jim, great job giving a, a quick recap on his journey and, and his progress as well as Morales. But Cejudo has lost to DJ and beat DJ both were for title attempts. To me, that usually leads to a trilogy, as I, I think you and I would likely say, at least the way things are today in the UFC, if, you, if you're fighting for the title and you lose one and win one, particularly DJ being the longest reigning uh, defending uh, UFC uh, champion and, and breaking, um, breaking Silva's record, uh, it, it's interesting that was never rematched, but I can tell you, because I saw an interview directly with DJ saying that before he'd even gotten back to his, to his blue or red room, whatever it was, corner after he lost in the tunnel on the way out, he grabbed his manager and said, hey, does this mean I can leave the UFC? Just to point out to our educated listeners that the UFC has a clause called the champion clause. It doesn't matter if your contract runs out or not. If you are an active champion, current reigning champion, you cannot leave and you owe the UFC fights until you lose. That obviously hurt DJ. He had wanted to be fighting for 1FC for quite some time. He had been talking for, I'm going to say, about two years about how the attitude of 1FC is different. Uh, it's more of the Asian respect um, culture. And uh, the UFC had put a lot of pressure on him to tr- talk trash and, and be aggressive and, and kind of be a little conner. And that's just not who DJ is. So it's interesting to point out that DJ's first thought after he lost was, great. That means I no longer have to be a fight in the UFC. And for our viewers or listeners who may know this, um, DJ Dillashaw is the answer to the trivia question, who was the first and currently only UFC rostered athlete to be traded to another organization by the UFC? And that would be um, DJ for, uh, oh, help me out here, for the wrestler, Ben Askren. And so it's very interesting kind of how that happened. I still think as a dream matchup that Sahuda and DJ would run it back one more time, but I don't see that happening. So a very interesting picks, very good coverage. Uh, other thoughts you have on this, on this event. One thing I want to mention on, on the fight, I'll get, get to it in a second, but I wanted to uh, comment on what you said about Cody, Cody Garbrandt, yeah. and his, him and his camp and you know, his management team saying that, He's, he doesn't want to fight or he's not going to fight until the UFC, I guess, publicly acknowledges everything that Dillashaw did while he was juiced up and um, vacated yeah. uh, the title, um, <clears throat> as well as um, take away those victories that he had. I don't see that happening simply because yeah. they haven't done that with other fighters, with, uh, with Lesnar, with uh, John Jones. I mean, you know, we right. can go down the list. Um, Bigfoot Silva, you know, I, it's, it's just a, a list that, is way too big for them to go back and start editing um, what I would call, you know, some, some legacy fights and taking away victories from guys. And it's, it, it wouldn't make sense to do it now. Uh, but yeah. maybe if he comes out and makes a statement and says that this is something that they're going to be doing going forward, similar to what uh, NCAA does in, you know, college football and um, vacating championships and taking away victories. I don't yeah. That's that's going to happen. It's a nice thing, I guess you could say. Um, it would be a nice gesture on, 
UFC's part to maybe acknowledge, hey, yeah, you know, this is something that we're going to consider. Uh, we can't do anything at this point because it's not in our policy. But I just don't see Dana White and uh, UFC management actually yeah. even coming to that point. I, I don't see them ever doing anything like that. I think they're going no, to and I think it hurts. I, I think it weakens their position. I think one of the last things do you see, and I agree with Cody Garber, and I think the IOC has made it kind of clear what they do. The NCAA made it clear what they do. But I, I think from UFC's perspective, they've always struggled with a legitimacy issues, even way back when they bought, bought it out. Now it's the 25th year. If you look on YouTube, they've got some great um, documentaries on sort of, and they're all bent towards the UFC, but they do give some history to kind of some of the issues they, they face. And I think even today, even that they just a couple of years ago got bought out for $4.2 billion. I think even as a $4.2 billion company, I think they still have concerns if they start yanking um, people for, for using. I mean, you, you referenced three or four known um, current, you know, that they've been punished or disciplined for uh, PEDs and they were champions and you went through that list. And I think you could even go back further than that. So, um, so I would say that they're never going to do it because of fear of, of, of sort of, you know, delegitimizing or, or uh, taking away the legitimacy of the UFC as a brand, uh, more important than one or two, two fighters. So what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on that last fight you wanted to say? And then we'll, uh, we'll wrap this up. I agree with you with uh, what you said about that fight being for uh, a vacant belt and yeah. how it, uh, how it trumps, so to speak, um, an actual title fight, you know, a champion coming mm -hmm. in and defending his yeah. belt. Um, but yet you have two guys um, or two, you know, two men or uh, two women coming uh, into a fight to try and capture that belt that is, that is vacant. I think that should be the co-main and Shevchenko and Jessica I should be the main event. Yeah. I mean, that's, right. You know, I think um, they're looking at numbers uh so to speak, when it comes to pay-per-view buys and and what's going to sell, I think those two on top of the card are probably going to um, sell more than Shevchenko and Jessica I. So um, yeah, I just I just wanted to point that out, and um, sure. I don't know that uh, that we've had any precedent set before um, prior to this where they had a situation like that with two belts on the line, but one of those fights being uh, for a vacant belt and it was the main event i mean maybe uh, way back in uh, ufc's infancy but you know i'd have to go back or we'd have to go back and research that to actually find that out okay so we've got um three predictions we've got um ferguson and cerrone luke you were taking ferguson um by some sort of uh finish uh, a sub and i think you referenced um the darts choke which is not a common um submit, mm -hmm. um and did you call that in a specific round? Uh, maybe four? No, I think I actually, I had referenced the Dar's joke, but I, I think I actually, uh, we'd have to replay it, but I think I actually picked a stoppage by strikes uh, in the second round. Okay, so that is my mistake. So we've got you as um, stoppage by strikes for Ferguson. Right. I'm going with a decision by Cerrone. Yep, that's uh, fight number one. Um, mm -hmm. Number two, you're uh, you're picking 
uh, Marais, uh, as well as I yep. am. I was going with um, with a submission, and I, I picked uh, Rear Naked Choke in the fourth round, and um, and then the lock, which you th- uh, you gave our listeners the the lock um, that you can take to the bank with your own money, and not mine or Luke's, because we yes, are- yes, yes. <laughs> Um, you're taking Shevchenko, which I totally agree yes. with you. Um, Shev- Shevchenko is the lock for UFC 238. That happens this this weekend. One and on that fight- lock, I'd also mention possibly taking the what they call a prop or a proposition, which means that you you not only would, would potentially wager on the win loss, you would also uh, wager on the outcome being a being a stoppage. But that's more if you're on sports book side. Right. Yeah. There's there's all kinds of ways that. Um, that you can go with that. And um, there is uh, one fight coming up that um, it, it's it's off in a distance. You know, we will get into this discussion uh, maybe um, in the next, uh, next two or three podcasts, but that is um, somebody we mentioned on the podcast, uh, Max Holloway, and he's taken on oh. Frankie Edgar for uh, for a title shot. It, see, it, to me, it, it's like – that's you're you're kind of rewarding somebody for things they've done in the past and not necessarily what they've done um, most recently. And I'm not taking anything away from Edgar, but no. um, I don't I don't think that it's uh, it's warranted um, to give him a title shot. So. Yeah, I think that's something we'll talk about in the future. Another thing, if we're gonna if we're gonna leave with an Easter egg. And that's your Easter egg in the future. My Easter egg is that it appears that DC and Stipe are going to run it back. And I am super pumped about that. Um, Brock has more or less, I guess more than less, said that he's not coming back to the UFC. And so at this point, I believe it was announced officially that DC and Stipe are going to run it back. So those are our two Easter eggs in the future, I'd say. Luke and I got lots to talk about. Um, for <laughs> UFC events, um, and definitely um, there's some big news uh, coming up um, for a regional event. It's uh, it's going to be happening in the Pittsburgh area, and we can't really give you that information now. But it is it's a it's actually a pretty big deal. Um, so you're going to want to listen to um, the next podcast or two um, to catch that uh, uh, that breaking story that MMA Fancast is going to have. So I, I mentioned. Lots uh, for Luke and I to uh, talk about coming up, uh, which means there's a lot, uh, a lot of information we're going to be giving out. Things for you to um, tune into MMA Fancast uh, to get this stuff. So um, that's going to do it for um, for this edition of MMA Fancast. Definitely stay tuned for um, shows coming up. As Luke mentioned, he's got some things he wants to share. Um, he's got a lot coming up on the next. A podcast and then a few down the road um, I'll be doing the same given lock so um, we want to thank you for listening to us again we are MMA Fancast and have a good day